It's May 1st, the beginning of Mental Health Awareness Month. And I have good news. We're winning. High five. It's Depression Mode. I'm John Moe. I'm glad you're here. Today, we're going to talk about why and how we are winning. And we'll talk about mental health in the context of Mental Health Awareness Month. We're going to lean on that word awareness. You know, it's the one month that we have to be aware of mental health. As of June 1st, boom, back to complete oblivious ignorance. But for this one month, we'll pay attention. No, I'm, I'm kidding. But the thing is, I often forget that Mental Health Awareness Month is coming to be honest, because I make this program all year round. And you've probably listened to the show before in a month that is not May. We, you and me, we're aware of mental health. It's like if someone had Gravity Awareness Month. Yeah, no, we, we, we know about gravity. But Mental Health Awareness Month, M-H-A-M, mom, is a good time to reflect on the idea of awareness. No matter how many hours you sit at your computer in your house typing out scripts for your podcast about mental health, and I think awareness has come a long way, and I do think we're winning, and I especially think that when I recall how my awareness began. I was in seventh grade and 12 years old and a student at Sacagawea Junior High, and something was terribly wrong. As far as I could tell, my classmates all seemed like they were doing fine, going to classes, posturing, showing off, seeming to know what they were doing in life, handling puberty and adolescence just fine. All was well with other students at Sacagawea, or SAC as we called it. I didn't think much of that abbreviation at the time, although it's pretty funny to me now. SAC. It seems like a tremendously astute construction to refer to a junior high as a sack. Where did you go to seventh grade? Sack. Sack's mascot was the Warriors, and this has little to do with mental health, but it strikes me how funny that is now, given that Sacagawea herself was the furthest thing from being a warrior. The Sack Warriors. That was us. Fighting from within our sack. Checking in on the school now, I see that they've ditched the name Warriors, which is good, they should, and they've replaced it with the Nighthawks. And what does that make you think of? Nighthawks? For me, it's that Edward Hopper painting, Nighthawks, which is this beautiful portrait of loneliness and isolation and darkness of people at a diner. Depression. It's a painting about depression. And other people might see it differently. That's just my interpretation. I see a lot of depression around because I am who I am, and it's kind of my thing. The Sack Nighthawks. Bags full of depression. I think I just got school spirit for the first time. Anyway, I had a complete lack of awareness of mental health or mental illness, and this was the case in May of that year, and the entirety of that school year, in fact. I didn't need a mental health awareness month. I just had a long-standing feeling that something was very wrong. I didn't know that what I was first starting to experience back then was major depressive disorder. It felt like falling in a pit, and you're at the bottom of the pit, but you somehow keep falling anyway. I found myself unable to get out of bed in the morning, partly as a purely physical thing and partly because I felt such dread about what would happen once I got to school. I was a pretty successful student and I had friends, but I knew that just about anything was going to make me cry 
and once I started crying, there would be no stopping for a protracted amount of time. Not a good look for a kid hitting puberty, and pretty dang inconvenient in the navigating of one's day as well. I was unable to concentrate. I was always on the verge of panic because I knew that everything might fall apart for me at any moment. One of the only things I knew, though, was that I needed to keep this a secret. Because as far as I could tell, like I said, everyone else around me was doing just fine. They were going about their business. They were cheerleaders. They were football players. They were drawing ACDC logos on their folders and book covers without seemingly a care in the world. At no point did anyone say, hey, I feel a sense of doom at all times, and not in a cool heavy metal sense, but actual bleakness. Nobody ever said anything like that. At no juncture did my classmates express a certainty that life would get steadily worse. And that's if we didn't all die in a nuclear war. This was during the Cold War of the 80s when such an eventuality felt, to me anyway, like an inevitability. No, everyone else seemed like they were doing just fine. I would find out years later, after my memoir was published, that plenty of other kids at Sac Junior High felt just as troubled as I did. And just as I had no idea anything was going on with them, they had no idea that anything was going on with me. You were always so funny, they said recently when the book came out. Yeah, well, thanks. I was funny. But that was tactical. It was a disguise. My self-diagnosis in 7th grade and in 8th grade, as the whole thing got worse, was not major depressive disorder. It was just that I was a weird person. That there was something fundamentally different, deeply, irretrievably broken about me. And I, acting as my own psychiatrist, came up with a treatment plan. Never, ever say anything about it to anyone, ever. If I could just keep my dark weirdness a secret for the rest of my life, until I died, whether that was at age 100 or in a nuclear apocalypse next week, if I could just keep it all a secret until then, I would win? No one would ever find out. Hooray. Secret. I was noticing other things back then, though, outside of myself. I noticed that there was activism going on. It was part of living in a society. There was a sense that we could identify some problems and do something about them. Maybe that spirit was gained from the protests of the 60s before I came around, but I saw it manifested in my time in what we did about litter. Litter. See, when I was a kid, when I was growing up, a lot of our parks looked like ass. Just gross. When people were done with their McDonald's, they would just throw the stuff on the ground, styrofoam containers and all. If you were having your McDonald's in the car and you were done with it, you just roll down your window and toss the garbage out. The whole world is your toilet, went the thinking. And after a while, we all just got together and decided to do something about it. As an entire society, the thinking changed, the tide of sentiment turned, and we started, at the very least, throwing things away into garbage cans cleaning up our highways, making the parks look less ass-like. And we got kind of creative and abstract. Collectively, we got together to brainstorm how we could send a message to do better. And one of the top ideas to remind ourselves that we shouldn't litter, that we should live in a cleaner place, that we should all make an effort, one of the top ideas we came up with was a cartoon owl named Woodsy. 
Woodsy Owl, who sometimes existed in cartoon form, but more often than not was someone in a costume, wearing a a big owl costume, where Woodsy had this huge head and no shirt, but he did wear pants, and that was all supposed to make us not litter somehow, through some mystical means. I remember accepting it, though. Big weird owl? Oh yeah, that means don't litter. Got it. Thank you. It was this combination of sincere collective consciousness and just a little bit of abstractness. This was what we chose for our society. Earnest efforts to collect trash and discourage littering, plus a horrifyingly large owl-human hybrid to cheer us on and inspire us. There is still litter in the world today, but it got better. We identified a problem, litter, and a problematic behavior, littering, and we did something about it. We started to win. We're winning. We noticed, and this was a bit before my time, but it's similar, we noticed that cigarette smoking caused lung cancer, and so we put Surgeon General's warning labels on packs of cigarettes. It didn't put an end to smoking instantly, but it was a step toward changing the way of thinking. This problem, smoking, turned out to be a tough one, but we did and are doing something about it. You can't smoke on airplanes anymore. You can't smoke in indoor public places for the most part. Again, we identified a problem, cigarette smoke, and the harmful ingredients of cigarettes, and we decided that that's not how we really want to live together anymore. We got a ways to go, but we're winning. Drunk driving. It's another one. We got to a point where we, and I'm talking about the society that you and I and everyone else is a part of, we decided that it just wasn't cute anymore to drive drunk. And we stopped looking the other way because we realized that people were dying, that people were killing other people in the process, and we decided to just not put up with it anymore. Some groups led the way, of course, there were leaders, and we got some blood alcohol level maximums set. We made some stronger penalties for people who were caught driving drunk. And again, as with Woodsy Owl, we got kind of creative. We got Stevie Wonder on board. He put out a song called Don't Drive Drunk. There was even a poster from Stevie. Maybe it was in your school. I think it was in mine. It's a picture of Stevie, and then the quote, Before I'll ride with a drunk, I'll drive myself. Which, you know, good one, Stevie. We got creative. It didn't solve the problem right away, but addressed it. And as a kid, I got the message. I got all these messages. All right, don't litter, don't smoke, don't drive drunk. But don't talk to anyone else about mental health problems. Keep those a secret because I saw how mental illness was treated, and it was very different from the smoking and the drunk driving and the litter. I was a kid, and I had seen cartoons. I knew that crazy people ended up in straitjackets. I knew that they were then placed in padded rooms. Even Bugs Bunny ended up in a straitjacket in cartoons. Straitjackets and padded rooms were the biggest associations that I had with mental illness. I didn't want to wear one of those jackets because I like my arms and I enjoyed doing things with them. And I preferred my own room to a padded one with a locked door. 
In non-cartoon media representations, I had never seen the movie Psycho, but it was pervasive enough in culture for me to know what it was about. It was about a person with mental illness. And because Norman Bates had mental illness, he murdered people in the shower. Spoiler. Sorry, you had 63 years. I hope I'm not giving too much away. So those were the outcomes if I had accepted that I had mental illness. Straitjacket and padded room or just become a murderer. None of them sounded attractive. Littering, you get an owl to help you. Smoking, you get a warning label to help you. Drunk driving, you get Stevie. Mental illness, no. You get a straitjacket, a padded room, or becoming a murderer. That's the world as it used to be, as I understood it. Anyway, time passes. The Berlin Wall comes down. Bill Clinton plays the saxophone on Arsenio. The U.S. invades Iraq a couple of times. Time passes. And I continue to shove down all this mental health stuff. I set low expectations of myself, and I shove all this mental health stuff down, 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 deep, deep in the private safe. Thing is, my depression happens to be stress-reactive. When the going gets tough, I go to pieces. That's just how I got built. So cut to my 30s, and I have a lot going on in life. I have a career in radio that I take seriously. I'm married. We own a home and have a mortgage that we have to pay. We have two kids at the time. And all that stuff is wonderful. Like, I had never dared dream that I would have such a rich and rewarding life. But it's also stressful as hell. And I start to fall apart. My fuse gets extremely short. My concentration starts to collapse. I begin losing touch with friends because I'm getting down on myself. I think that it's best not to talk to those friends because I would be such a bad friend in return. Well, it turns out you can only shove depression into the back seat for so long before it elbows its way into the driver's seat and takes the goddamn wheel. And then, you know what you become? You become the passenger on a pretty unpleasant drive. Finally, my wife asks me to go see a doctor because she thinks something might be wrong with my mental health and I should go get it checked out. I tell her, no, 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 I'm not going to go. It's just stress. It's temporary. She reminds me that, well, these kids are here to stay. Your job is something you're going to stick with and the mortgage is definitely with us for a lot of years to come. The stress is not going anywhere. She says she's worried about me. And I come up with a lot of excuses. You know, I I don't want to take someone else's appointment slot who might need the doctor a lot more than I do. I don't want to waste the doctor's time with my problems, even though the doctor is there expressly to hear about and address people's problems. I tell her I don't want to spend a copay for something like this. Our copay at the time was 10 bucks. I didn't want to spend a Hamilton on myself. Finally, she said, well, if you don't care enough about yourself to go get this checked out, do you care about me and the kids? And I said, yes, more than anything. And she said, okay, great. Go do it for us then. So I go see Dr. Richard Kovar, who takes about half a minute to diagnose me with major depressive disorder. He says, yeah, you've got this thing. We can do something about it. We can uh, look at, we can get you on some medication right away so you're at least in some sort of shape to start fighting this thing. 
And then we could look at all sorts of options. There's therapy. We could look at your diet. We could look at exercise. A lot of people get something out of mindfulness and meditation. People benefit from prayer. There's all sorts of ways that people can go about this. And there isn't one thing that works for everybody, but most people can find something that at least helps. And I say, well, if I have depression, how long have I had this? And he said, well, how long have you felt this way? And I said, since about seventh grade at Sacagawea Junior High. And he said, okay, well, then you've probably had it since then. And finding that out felt great. This thing, this weirdness that I thought was just who I fundamentally was, it wasn't who I was. It was something that I had. Mental health awareness suddenly meant something quite wonderful. And before long, my mental health stabilizes and I learn to manage things. The depression isn't eradicated, but I learn to work with it and sometimes work around it. I learn to manage it. And I start to talk to people. I talk to therapists. I talk to doctors. And in time, I talk to podcast audiences. Hello. I'm glad you're here. So after treatment and management, I'm doing better. Society? Not so much. Mental health in our society continues to be a problem, and it's getting worse. According to Mental Health America in a 2019-2020 survey, 20.78% of adults were experiencing a mental illness. Over 50 million Americans. Since the pandemic, we've seen increases in the rates of depression disorders, anxiety disorders, and substance use disorders. Young people are being hit especially hard. Kids are feeling it the most. Their statistics look the worst. As I write this, 1,129,573 Americans have died as a result of COVID. If we add in the people affected by grief, by long-term infection, by job loss, the numbers get very high indeed. COVID has been a traumatic experience that we have shared, and we're likely to be dealing with that trauma in some form or another for the rest of our lives. Think about how people who survived the Great Depression or the World Wars, people who carried that loss and terror their entire lives, think about how that shaped their mental health. Well, that's us now. And some people may disagree, and that's fine, but I think COVID has affected us in ways that we have not yet begun to really deal with. I think we're going to be suffering post-traumatic stress as a society for a long time. And care can sometimes be hard to come by. The number of psychologists and psychiatrists who are available is increasing, but it's not increasing at the same pace as the demand for mental health treatment. It's harder and harder to get someone to talk to, to get the help people need. So we're up against something pretty huge in terms of mental health. We were before COVID, and even more so now. And the problem is, I mean, there are lots of problems, but the problem is that we, traditionally, have sucked really bad at dealing with the problem of mental health in our society. We collectively have done what I individually did about mental illness. We stuff it down deep inside under the misguided belief that this will make it go away when all it does down there, shoved down there deep, is fester. Diseases like to fester. I think we haven't been open about mental health in the past because it's scary. And understandably, scary things are scary. Scary things get scarier if you don't deal with them, though. Just ahead, I'm going to tell you about some stickers. But it will be meaningful, I promise. 
because we're winning. The following pro wrestling contest is scheduled for one fall. Making their way to the ring from the Tights and Fights podcast are the baddest trio of audio, the hair to beware, Danielle Radford. It really is great hair. The Brit with a permit to hit, Lindsay Kell. The queen is dead. Long live the queen. And the fast talking, fist clocking, Hal Uplin. See, I can wrestle and be an announcer. Get ready for tights and fights. Listen every Saturday or face the pain. Find us on Maximum Fun. Now ring the bell. Welcome back. We're winning. I was at Walgreens the other day. My wife and I were picking up some things, and Jill walked over to where I was shopping and showed me a pack of stickers. I really want you to see these stickers, she said. I'll put a photo on our show page, by the way, and at our Instagram, Pod of these stickers. And it was like a pack of stickers, like for kids. And there's a unicorn sticker on there and a skateboard and a cheeseburger, all these fun, cartoony stickers. And then one of the stickers says mental health matters. Big, colorful bubble letters, mental health matters, right there among the unicorns and skateboards. And yes, it does matter. You're right, stickers for sale at Walgreens, mental health matters. Another sticker in the pack says wellness, which is kind of along the same lines. Another one says honey, which is not along the same lines, but whatever. Neither is the cheeseburger. That's also in the pack. And I knew what this Mental Health Matters sticker meant. We've entered the eccentric, creative phase of addressing this problem. We're getting somewhere. We've entered the phase where it's a widespread enough concern that we create whimsical art to address it. We're in woodsy owl territory. It's a signal that finally... Decades after we gave littering and smoking and drunk driving the same treatment, we are turning our cultural attention to the problem of mental illness. We're facing up to the stigma surrounding dealing with mental health in general. Granted, this is a lot to infer from a sticker packet. I realize that, particularly a sticker packet that had recently been marked down from $4.99 to $3.99, which is a little worrisome, but I'm not going to dwell on that. We're winning. When it comes to mental health mattering, we're winning. But there's more than just this sticker packet going on. There's more happening in the world, and some of it is a little eccentric too. There's also pharmaceutical advertising and stock photography, which has been very prolific on the subject of depression in particular. I did a Google image search on the words depression and windows, and let me tell you, there was so much to choose from provided by photo agencies and drug companies. Picture after picture of women staring out windows while looking vaguely sad and contemplative. These were the results when I searched on depression and windows. There's children staring out windows, old men staring out windows, and a lot more of women staring out windows. It's mostly middle-aged women staring out of windows when you search for depression and windows. All of them look like they're waiting 
for some husband or family member to return from a voyage to sea, when in fact, they're probably just waiting for their prescriptions to be refilled, I guess. I don't know. And I mean, there's so many pictures of depression and windows that it makes me wonder if the problem causing all this depression is the windows themselves. I just think, pull the blinds, get away from the windows. And okay, the pictures are easy to laugh at, and one should, but at least they're out there. An effort is being made. At least we are saying to the world that mental health problems can and do exist. That's progress. We're winning. In other circles, we're getting to a place more sincere and personal than stickers or stock photos. I follow basketball very closely, NBA basketball. I know the teams. I know at any given time who's ahead of who in the playoff rounds. I pay attention to the draft and free agency. And I pay attention closely because I think it's all really interesting. I also pay attention to news about mental health because I think that's interesting and that's part of my job. I write a newsletter for this program every Monday, johnmo.substack.com. And there was a story that I barely caught when I was searching around for stories about mental health, and it has to do with the NBA. I finally noticed it well after it had taken place. Andre Drummond, veteran center for the Chicago Bulls, missed some time recently, was unavailable to play in games because he was taking a break for his mental health. He didn't go into a lot of detail about exactly what was going on, but it was enough that he had to miss some time. And no one batted an eye. Nobody questioned it. It was as if he tweaked his ankle or sprained a finger or something. Andre Drummond said, quote, We're looked at as superheroes, that nothing really bothers us and we don't have a life outside the game. That's what people fail to understand, that we do have personal lives outside of the game, and it becomes taxing at times. And that superhero cape we have on has to come off at some point. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to feel. It's okay to be emotional. We're all men, but we have to be okay with having feelings. Now, it was a story that he missed that time. It was news. But what's news to me is how it was barely reported at all. We're accepting stuff like this like we never have before. That's part of winning. And a lot of that is probably due to the fact that it's not just Andre Drummond in a one-time thing in the world of sports. Aaron Wise is a professional golfer who dropped out of the Masters this year, biggest tournament of the year in golf. Regretfully, I am withdrawing from the Masters today, he said. Golf is just as much a mental game as it is one of physical skill, and the mental piece of it has been a struggle for me recently. It's happening in baseball, where it's becoming routine for a player to step away to take care of his mental health. Austin Meadows of the Detroit Tigers, an outfielder, went on the injured list recently, cause was listed as anxiety. His general manager, Scott Harris, said the Tigers fully support Austin's decision to step away from the team and prioritize his mental health. As an organization, we have taken many steps to provide and destigmatize mental health resources, and we will do more to help our players tackle the mental and physical challenges they face on a daily basis. We commend Austin. They were open about it. They were honest about it we're winning. In women's sports, the athletes have come under a lot more criticism in the press when they need to take some time off for mental health, and that's because we live in a sexist society. 
But they're speaking out about it, and they're making their truth known. When tennis player Naomi Osaka withdrew from the French Open, she said, The truth is that I have suffered long bouts of depression since the U.S. Open in 2018, and I have had a really hard time coping with that. I think now the best thing for the tournament, the other players, and my well-being is that I withdraw so that everyone can get back to focusing on the tennis going on in Paris. I would never trivialize mental health or use the term lightly. Simone Biles, the American gymnast who dropped out of some events at the Tokyo Olympics for mental health reasons, said, as an athlete, you need to protect your mind and your body rather than just go out there and do what the world wants us to do and potentially injuring yourself. I had to put myself above all else. I learned that it's okay not to be okay. If you don't do what's right for you, then you're not going to enjoy your sport and you're not going to succeed as much as you want to in whatever arena you're competing in. Simone Biles was asked what her regrets were about the situation, and she said, I don't have any. I'm happy that I prioritize my mental well-being. And we're winning, and the world is changing because of Senator John Fetterman. Not just because he was the first senator to experience a mental health condition, probably not even the first to seek inpatient care, but because he was open about it and unusually forthcoming about it. And there was a lot of partisan BS around Fetterman seeking help. There was a lot of nonsense coming from a lot of Republicans and conservatives because Fetterman happens to be on the other side. But at least there was this from Texas Republican Senator Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz is normally one of the loudest, most partisan voices in American politics. But after Fetterman announced he was getting inpatient help, Cruz tweeted, Heidi and I are lifting John up in prayer. Mental illness is real and serious, and I hope that he gets the care he needs. Regardless of which side of the political aisle you're on, please respect his family's request for privacy. Things are changing. We're winning. We're fighting stigma and ignorance and shame, and we're winning. But how do I know we're winning if this enlightened consciousness about mental health is still relatively new? I mean, 10 years ago, would I even be able to have a show like this? Would it even be possible to book enough guests who are willing to openly talk about their mental health experiences and struggles? I don't think so, but it's happening now. We're winning because we know that when society takes up a cause, when the silly efforts like Woodsy Owl and sincere efforts like tougher laws for drunk drivers, when they all get behind something and people speak out more than they ever have, we know that it makes a difference. And we have data. In 1965, 42.4% of American adults smoked. Today, it's 12.5%. The societal decision to combat smoking hasn't wiped out the habit of smoking, but that's 30% of the population who were smoking and no longer are. We did something about it. The percentage of roadway fatalities caused by drunk drivers was at 40% in 1990. It's at 28% today. Didn't wipe out the problem, but that's a huge drop. The organization Keep America Beautiful estimated 51.2 billion pieces of litter were on American roads in 2009, but that number dropped to 23.7 billion in 2020, more than cut in half. By the way, I looked up woodsy owl designs through the ages, and the new woodsy wears a shirt now, and he's kind of muscular. Woodsy owl is pretty hot now, if I'm being honest. He's a sexy owl. I didn't expect to be saying that sentence today. So maybe it's the new sexy woodsy that's making a difference here. I don't know. But I think it's just a continued societal decision that we're going to live better. And that bodes well for the future of mental health. 
I think about this as we go about the work of making this show happen every week and during Mental Health Awareness Month, because it can sometimes be pretty taxing, honestly, to talk about and think about mental health problems every week on an ongoing basis. But I'm inspired because I know with each conversation that we're getting somewhere, there is progress. Society in general has joined our cause, and together, we're winning. After the break, Laura House with a meditation moment. Hey, when you listen to podcasts, it really just comes down to whether or not you like the sound of everyone's voices. My voice is one of the sounds you'll hear on the podcast Dr. Game Show. And this is the voice of co-host and fearless leader Joe Firestone. This is a podcast where we play games submitted by listeners and we play them with callers over Zoom we've never spoken to in our lives. So that is basically the concept of the show. Pretty chill. So take it or leave it, bucko. And here's what some of the listeners have to say. It's funny, wholesome, and it never fails to make me smile. I just started listening and I'm already binging it. I haven't laughed this hard in ages. I wish I discovered it sooner. You can find Dr. Game Show on MaximumFun.org. And it's time to find our breath and find ourselves in the universe for just a few moments, just a few moments out of our busy day. Our friend Laura House is here for a meditation moment. Hi, Laura. Hello. I'm, uh, my, my lungs are ready for this. My serenity is ready for this. Oh, good. Yeah, serenity now. We scream into the void <laughs> and we just try to try It doesn't to work, it Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> I have to relax and I have to do it now. Yeah, luckily it's very easy and we can feel at least a little relaxed in a short amount of time. So first of all, just get comfortable in some kind of seat, your back supported. You want to be able to close your eyes safely. Close your eyes, relax. You're, you're the boss right now. You don't have to do anything. You're on break. You are breathing. So just be aware that you're breathing. Just notice your breath. You're also having thoughts, which is normal. Thoughts are going to happen and your attention will wander into your thoughts. Also very normal when you're aware of it. Just notice your breath again really easily. Sort of look over that direction at your breath and just let go. Okay, go ahead and open your eyes. It's such a short amount of time relative Mm -hmm. to all the other minutes of the day that we pack with stress and tasks and worry and all these other things. It's, it's, you know, you're giving yourself a break, like you said, you're giving yourself time off, but it's, it's such a small amount of time, but it makes such a difference. Yeah, you could just like... I think a lot of people have a hard time meditating because it's kind of branded as this 
weirdy. Yeah, super spiritual. Guru, guru. You know, yeah. like, you could just think of it as as your hold my calls time. Yeah. <laughs> and just, like, hold my calls and then just, this is just relaxed time for yourself. Like, it's yeah. what you do. If you go to Maui, you sit by the beach and you close your eyes and you just be. So yeah. think of it that way. Like, it's a fancy thing to do. You don't need saffron robes. You nope. don't need a gong. No. I mean, they're fun. Both sure. <laughs> I'm not going to count them out. But no, no. No, no. You don't need it. But they're optional. They're not required. Yeah. You just watch your breath for a second the same way you watch a very short film. Okay. Well, I'm giving it rave reviews. Laura House is the <laughs> co-host of Tiny Victories, a podcast right here on the Maximum Fun Network, and you can find Laura at laurahouse.com. Laura, thank you. Thank you. Next time on Depression Mode, Samantha Irby is getting ready to do live events to promote her new book, and she's looking forward to those events. Kinda. So I'm currently half worried about everything you wear looks stupid and everyone's going to be like, ew. <laughs> and the other half is, what if somebody who hates you spent money on a ticket to sit through a show where you're going to be and decides to run up on stage and call you a dumb bitch? And it's like, it's not going to happen, but my brain... Like, the sick part of it, it really enjoys getting down in there and, like, imagining all that. Be sure to hit subscribe, give us five stars, write rave reviews. All of that helps get the show out into the world where it can help people. The Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is available 24-7 in the United States for free by calling 988. The Crisis Text Line, also free, always available. Text the word HOME to 741741. Our Instagram is DepressionPod. Our Twitter is DepressionPod. If you're on Facebook, look up our mental health discussion group, Preshies. Our Depression Mode newsletter, as I said, is available on Substack, johnmoe.substack.com. Search that up. I'm on Twitter, at John Moe. Instagram, also at John Moe. Our electric mail address, if you need to get in touch with us, is depressmode at maximumfun.org. Hi, Credits listeners. Mental health music recommendation. Look up the new song, Your Mind Is Not Your Friend, from The National. Good music and lyrics that might make you feel seen. Depression Mode is made possible by your contributions. The show is produced by Gabe Mara. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson, and we get booking help from Mara Davis. Rhett Miller wrote and performed our theme song, Building Wings. I'm always falling off of cliffs now Building wings on the way down I am figuring things out Building wings, building wings, building wings No one knows the reason Maybe there's no reason I just keep believing no one knows the answer Maybe there's no answer I just keep on dancing I'm Aaron Santel from Maryville, Tennessee And you may not know it But you are amazing And you've got this Depression Mode is a production of Maximum Fun and Papa Chick I'm John Moe Bye now 
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.